0: Welcome to Afternoons with Bill Arnold. I'm the Bill Arnold part of that short sentence. I'm so glad you're with me today. Thanks uh, for all of you who said, yeah, I can participate in that uh, last effort to get fully funded. It was really a lot of fun to have Neil and uh, Carmen and Susie and to talk about how close we are to being to the finish line. And thank you for uh, for participating. We had a lot of nice callers and comments, and it means a lot. This hour, uh, I had the guys adjust their schedules so they could... Uh, do it a little hour, an hour later. And most of them said yes. Uh, The only one who couldn't join us right away is uh, Justin Jepson. He's going to be joining us a little bit uh, into the hour. And Dr. Peter Kapsner is taking his kids to Lord of the Rings. They're probably in the car driving right now. So uh, that's what they're doing. So he's going to join us next week. So my power panel today is uh, Pastors Tom Brock, Tom Parrish, and uh, my friend Tiger McLuhan, who was with us last week from Youth Ministry Consulting. Gentlemen, welcome. Hi, good Bill. to be with you, Bill. Yeah. Psalm 103. Hey, good afternoon. Thank you. Psalm 103:13 says, "As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him." We've got Father's Day coming up on Sunday, and I'm wondering, what piece of wisdom or advice did you get from your father that's really stuck with you throughout life? Uh, you know let me start by saying first of all Tiger I know that you've got a fascinating story of having grown up with a little bit of uh substance or alcohol in your family. Mhm. Would you yep. would you mind telling how it made you feel?
1: Well, let me let me I let me tell you the the wisdom I heard is the I, I don't have a lot of parenting uh gems from the family my family of origin. Not that they were it was horrible but uh I remember my dad one time, I ran a stop sign at the end of our road when I was 16 years old um, because I had sat in the car and watched him run that stop sign. Um, And I remember him, he caught me. um, And when I came home, I'll never forget, I, I sat down and he looked at me and he said, Tiger, I cannot ask you to stop at that stop sign because I don't. And from there, we went on to a whole lot of other things about my driving habits and grounding and all that kind of stuff. But <laughs> th- that one sentence was a gem for me. And he recognized the limits of his challenge to me would be what he modeled to me. And that has stuck with me uh, in men- much of my parenting. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so uh, that, that's that been huge. And I've tried to wrestle with that because it's always harder to do it than it is to say to, you
0: know talk about doing it yeah tiger i don't know if you recall uh when we were previously talking uh a while ago you were telling me about three things you learned growing up in a family uh, with alcoholism and i thought that was so powerful i wonder if you wouldn't share those again with the group well
1: uh yeah i learned three rules in um in growing up in a family that was uh i never say dysfunctional because all families are dysfunctional but uh, I describe them as painful families, where there's a family that's disoriented enough where, where emotional or physical or relational pain is a, is more normal. And, and I learned three rules to survive, and it's not a victim language, it's survival language, which is number one I learned, don't talk. You just don't talk about this stuff. When you're ten, eleven, 10, 11, and something's happened in your family that is out of your control and will not change, you learn quickly that you can't talk about it. So we would basically use the mentality of go to bed, tomorrow morning you wake up and you pretend it never happened. So you don't talk about it. Second is you don't trust. Uh, don't talk, don't trust, meaning you, don't, you, you can't trust that people are going to follow through because if they already promised that they won't do that again, but they do it again and again and again, then what people say is really not valid. So you just learn to not trust that what people say is going to happen. And then the third one is don't feel you just try not to feel the feelings that you're feeling because it's out of control. You can't put language to it. And so you just stuff it. And so those are the three rules I learned that I have to tell you when I took it, when I became a Christian at 18 and then stepped into Christian leadership, I carried those three rules into leadership. Don't talk, don't trust, don't feel. Mm -hmm. And what I found was I got applauded for like crazy for that because People saw that survival mentality as confidence. When it wasn't confidence, it was just survival. I didn't talk about my stuff, which caused people to like to be with me because I never whined about stuff. I didn't talk <laughs> about my problems. I, I'll i yeah. listen to your problems all day long, but I'm not going to talk about mine because it's not going to change. I don't trust people, but it doesn't come off as negative. It came off as false confidence that I'm independent. I'm self, self-sufficient. self I can do it myself, which is a backside of don't trust people. Third one, don't feel. Meaning, I didn't share. You know, I. How you doing, Tiger? I wasn't like, oh, it's really a hard day. I'm really sad. I didn't do any feeling stuff with people, and they loved me for it. Well, it almost cost me my marriage and my life and my ministry. I just almost collapsed off an emotional cliff because it can't. You can't live like that. But that's that's what I learned to survive. Don't talk. Don't trust. Don't feel. Wow. That's good.
0: Tom or Tom? Um, tr-
1: oh, go, ahead. go
0: ahead, Tiger. Finish your thought if you have. Well, one. Well, I'm just saying yeah.
1: as, a, as a dad, I've tried to live uh, ways to try to break those rules. For me, uh, I've learned ways to do that, and it's still wrestling with it, as well as being a dad that it builds a family that doesn't follow those rules.
2: My father really impacted my life in terms of uh, being defined not by your circumstances, but by the choices you make. My dad, at age nine, was orphaned. His mom and dad and grandparents were all killed at once in a car train wreck. So he lost everybody. (laughs) He was the oldest of four kids. They were split up to the four winds back in the early 30s. And Mm -hmm. uh, he went and lived with an uncle in Illinois, which were anything but kind. My dad could have been the most bitter man in the world. He could have been a resentful, bitter man. My dad, though, chose. And this is the thing I learned from my dad. He chose to be kind. (laughs) He chose to be honest. He chose to care for my mom and for me and my brother and sister. And he did this all the days of his life. And he was uh, an incredible individual in the sense that his integrity was beyond anything I'd ever seen. Now, after 40 years of counseling, I can tell you how rare that is, because most people (laughs) I've had to deal with are defined by their circumstances, and they become embittered and resentful. My dad could have done all that. He could have become that, but he chose not to, and I was raised in a home that was pretty stable, and my dad was there, and I knew my dad loved me, and uh, he really had an impact on the way I look at life.
1: That's, that's a great reminder. Yeah, that's a great reminder of cho- choices that we can make.
0: Tom Brock, what well, about you? Yeah, well, you know, first a uh,
3: negative, then a positive. I don't remember Dad sitting me down and giving me advice for anything. <laughs> and I, I, I mean, I, I, having a long, deep, uh, having long, deep talks with Dad. I, maybe I'm forgetting them, but I don't think they hardly ever happened. I remember him once mm-hmm. sitting down with me alone, and we just talked. But the fact that that sticks out in my head says to me it almost never happened. So that's the mm-hmm. negative, and I, and I would just say to your. To our listeners right now, if you're a dad, make sure you spend good quality time with your children, one-on-one. You know, I I know a dad who's a very good dad. He takes his daughters out to, you know, uh, uh, breakfast, I think, once a month, and then his son, you know. So just spend alone time one-on-one with your kids if you're not doing that. But the positive is is this. My dad was very well-liked. And just when Dad died, he I mean, his picture was on the front page of the Omaha newspaper, and just everybody liked my dad. And I think what I learned from my dad is, even though he had a job, he ran the the big auditorium and horse racetrack and everything in Omaha, he had a very good job. But um, he was really down-to-earth, normal, humble, associated with absolutely anybody didn't have errors mm-hmm. like I'm I'm better than anybody and I think I learned from dad just to be normal uh human humble and not to uh think you're above anybody
4: oh, that's, that's good, good.
3: yeah I, um, you know Bill, I could and add and one more thing to that sure that yeah.
2: you might find interesting with the way my dad was I never remember dad getting angry with me. I was one of these compliant kids. I never really got in trouble. <laughs> However, when I was in college, I was commuting back and forth to the University of Toledo. I'm sitting at the dinner table one night with my mom, and my dad, in the middle of the dinner, this is like 1970, I don't know what was going on. He looked at me and said, young man, the only reason you're wearing that hair that long, you know, is to rebel. And my mom looked at me, and I looked at her, and I'm like, who's he talking to? And I looked at him, and I said, dad. I'm wearing my hair this long so I can get dates with girls. <laughs> and my hair got real quiet, and the color of his face changed, and he started to laugh until the day he died. He said that was the best comeback he ever heard, and it made the most sense to him, and he never said another word about my hair. <laughs> <laughs> That's
0: great. That's very funny.
2: Uh, in the
1: midst of mine, I think my memory for uh, uh, the thing I learned, again, I, I agree with Tom that I don't remember a sit-down one-on-one chat, even though... We probably did more of that in duck blind. We, my dad was religious about duck hunting and we, and I was with him uh, as four years younger than my next brother, often just the two of us for hours and hours and hours. We, I don't think we really talked about life, but we talked. And the thing I learned, I, I think the quality that I, I agree with is uh, responsibility. He, he, it was, he was big on being responsible. Take, take responsibility for your actions and your choices. Uh, if you if you win them, you win them. If you lose them, you lose them. Quit being a victim. No, he um he was a tough guy, World War II vet. But but he uh, so one of my top five strengths in the Strength Finders is responsibility. Um, because I learned that from him, and I think that's a that's a strength that has helped me is um, is to follow through and be responsible. And I'm and I'm glad Dad taught me that.
0: That's awesome.
3: If if I can add to that, too, what your dad tells you is what you believe about yourself. (laughs) And and I remember my dad telling me something about myself that I didn't realize was true about myself. But I think after I think I was like 13 years old and he said to me, Tom, the one thing about you is you never give up. Mm -hmm. And that kind of stuck that stuck in me, that that must, Dad says it, so it must be true. And, you know, a lot of us had dads that didn't give us comments and, or compliments, which is why we need God the Father to tell us who we are, <laughs> which, which yeah. is so important of claiming our identity in Christ and that we're forgiven, redeemed, we have purpose and meaning. And if you never got that from Mom or Dad, we've got a Heavenly Father, which is why we need to spend time in Scripture and Christian fellowship, so we don't listen to the lies of the devil who's always telling us who we uh, are when we're not.
0: Solid. solid. All right, I'm going to take a little break. Yep. If you have a pearl of wisdom from your father that you've been carrying around your whole life and you want to share it with us, we would absolutely love to hear it. Um, send me a text to 877-933-2484, 877-933-2484. Something your dad told you or something you saw in your dad that really stuck with you. Love to hear that. Again, 877-93-FAITH. The power panel today is Tiger McLuhan, Pastor Tom Brock, and Pastor Tom Parrish. And Pastor Justin Jepsen, double agent, will be joining us in just a few minutes. the show. Guy Talk is happening. Got a great power panel today. Got Tiger and two Toms with a Justin on the way, so we're looking forward to that. Another listener chimed in with this remark from his dad. Give people a second chance. If they miss it, give them another chance. If they do it again, let them go. Pray for them and give them up to the Father. Hmm. That's some good wisdom, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's not bad. Yes,
1: yes. Yeah, I was thinking as uh, during the break, uh, like I said, I don't have many pearls, but (laughs) as Tom was explaining, um, I do remember one conversation I had. I was uh, an athlete, um, but not a star athlete. Um, And I think I was on the wrestling team and B squad. And it was somewhere in that process in high school, sophomore junior. And and remember my dad just, I think it was in the duck blind. He said, you know, Tiger, you don't need to be the best. Uh, just do it, enjoy it, and get the benefit of being on a team. Just so you're doing your best, and I, that was a big weight off my shoulders. And I and I've I've thought about that a lot over the years to to give people permission to 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 work on something that they know they're not going to excel at, but they they enjoy and they're passionate about, and it and it gives them benefit. I think people sometimes believe they can only do the things that they're really, really good at. And um, so he, he was okay with me being on uh, JV and F Troop, and he
0: didn't mind, which is great. <laughs> yeah, good. Another listener said, uh, when I was about eight years old, my father told me that if you have a job that doesn't help the human race, you most likely have one that hurts it.
4: Hmm.
2: Oh,
0: ouch. I am a home health aide for veterans.
2: Hmm. Huh. Wow. That's great. I'd have to think that one through, but I I understand the sentiment behind
0: it. <laughs> I do, too. I you do know, too. if you're, here if to you're serve doing others. a
2: job simply to get a paycheck or to get the nice cabin on the lake or to get that new boat, you've kind of missed the boat. It's when you're using your life to benefit others and be a blessing to them. And I think that's incredibly powerful when we do that, because that's the closest we come to really reflecting Jesus. Mm-hmm. who gave everything for us so that we could have life. And I think about how many people I run into all the time whose lives are falling apart, uh, They have financial problems, they have uh, emotional problems. And it's important to invest your time into those people and not simply invest your time where you can make money.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, I mm-hmm. assume everyone on this call has lost their father? Yes. Yep. And did... Um, yes. You know, how... How old were you when your father died?
3: I was 19.
0: Wow. That's Tom Brock? Yep. Okay. Tom Parrish?
3: I think I was 64.
0: Okay. What about you, Tiger? I was was early 40s. Okay. He had
1: Parkinson's disease, so his last nine years of his life.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And did you have... did, Did any of you have a time of real tenderness with your dad that... You didn't see coming. It was sort of one of those moments or seasons in your dad's life that you thought, I didn't see this coming, but boy, have we been tender with each other.
2: Yeah. My dad, the last five years, had dementia. Okay. And it was, it was progressing and you could literally see it changing. I don't know what we were doing one night, but I was sitting with him and he was on the couch and, and he said, Tommy, have I ever told you about this experience I had during World War II? And then he went on for about 20 minutes talking about the experience. And he got done, and uh, he got his comb out, he combed his hair, and then he said, Tommy, did I ever tell you about that experience I had in World War II? He did this five times. We spent three hours doing this. And i got to tell you guys, it was one of the richest moments I had in my life because he really wanted me to know the story was consistent all five times, but he thought he was telling it for the first time. And it taught me a lot about humility.
0: That's beautiful, My dad uh,
3: had a brain tumor, and so we knew he was dying. They gave him six months to a year, and he lived a little over a year. But when I started, when I went home, when he was in the last phases, I was 19 years old, and my family—I think we all loved each other. We just never said it. (laughs) And so I remember going into his hospital room, wanting to say to him before he died, "I love you, Dad." And I—it was hard for me. But I went in there and I said it, and I just remember he just kind of looked up, <laughs> and then didn't say it back, which is kind of our family. I, you know, I don't doubt Dad loves us, but that generation just did not get into talking about <laughs> their emotions. And so right. uh, it was—it was—it wasn't a real tender moment, but it was from. It was very hard for me to say those words, but I'm sure glad I did. And yeah. Uh,
1: yeah uh with parkinson's in the in the movement and uh my mom died uh, nine years or eight years before dad did and he um he softened quite a bit i mean like i said he was a world war two lieutenant and it was you know he he had opinions and you knew it, and you better agree with it or you were ready to battle, you know? <laughs> uh but these those last years he he couldn't talk about my mom. If any of us brought up mom's name, uh, he he cried, mm. and um, mm. he just couldn't he couldn't go there without it breaking some emotion, which shocked all of us the first time we saw it. But um, he softened in a way that you know we never got real like many others. We never got real verbal and held hands and said I love you. But but there were tender moments in that uh, in that progressive journey that that I'm grateful for. You
0: know? mm-hmm. Another listener uh, said, my dad didn't give a lick about keeping up with the Joneses. He absolutely didn't concern himself with what anyone else purchased, accomplished, etc. He compared himself and us kids with no one. That's good. Yeah, that's really good.
1: Yeah, it takes a lot of pressure off.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, unless his standards are real high. (laughs) (laughs) Right. All right, uh, man, let's welcome into the show Justin Jepson. Justin, welcome.
1: Hey, hey,
4: well, thank, thanks so much. Great to join you, brothers.
0: Yeah, we were talking about uh, mm. wisdom that you received from your father that really stuck with you that still is in your heart today.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah. Yeah, I actually caught the little first segment. I was driving my kids home from my uh, mother and father-in-law's house, and I was wanting to listen, but my son kept wanting, requesting songs to be played instead of guy talk. Well,
0: there <laughs> there will be discipline tonight.
4: Yeah, there, there's a so shock. But I did, hear, um, I did hear the question, and I did hear – I really appreciated a lot of things that you guys shared. And the thing that, that popped into my mind at the moment was um, just the kind of honesty as the best policy, so to speak, but specifically around when you did something wrong and fessing and up to it. And I remember mm-hmm. I, I, I couldn't have been more than 10 – not even 10 years old, and I was outside – uh, playing with a golf ball, so to see if I could bounce it as high as I possibly could, of course, you know, that's going to bounce and hit something and break something, and it certainly did, and it bounced and hit a rock and hit my dad's taillight of his car. Now, you need to know my dad is like a car guy to the max. He takes great pride in keeping the car up to speed, and, and he, he used to rebuild engines, and, I mean, he was everything, and so I thought, oh, no. I mean, this is like, <laughs> this is a big deal, and I remember thinking he's going to be so upset with me. I'm going to be grounded for the rest of my life. I'm probably (laughs) never going to be able to drive a car. You know, I was really just, but I said, you know what? I need to go tell him that I did this before he finds out. And I went and I told him and I remember, I'll never forget his response. He was, I mean, he was patient. He was definitely upset. But the first thing that he said to me was, you know, I'm so proud of you that you came and told me before. And because of that, your, your punishment, you know, will, will be (laughs) far, far less severe um so that was um that was a a moment for me that i that really stuck with me is um just just being completely honest and that's that serves me well especially in times when Uh you know i got pulled over for my first time and my dad told me just be honest don't try to make up a story just tell them the truth admit what you did and um that that has stuck with me all these years
3: Man,
0: that's that good sounds advice. like a
4: leave. That sounds like a leave it to Beaver
0: episode.
2: <laughs> really, I, think I episode yeah. just like yeah.
4: that. Yeah. So,
0: well, done, yeah. Dad. Yeah, exactly.
3: yeah. All right. No.
0: Let, me ta- let me let me take a little break, gentlemen. Guy talk is uh, happening. <laughs> Pastors Tom Brock, Tom Parrish, uh, Justin Jepson, and Tiger McClune are my guests. If you have a question, or if you have a comment about your dad, something your dad told you that's really stuck with you, it's a great pearl of wisdom, or something that just meant the world to you. Send it to me in a text. We'd love to share it. 877 We'll be right back. To the show, guide talk is happening this hour. Usually, it's at four to five o'clock hour, but we had a special program four to five, and uh, we're very grateful for that. And now we've got uh, f- nearly full full house. We've got pastors Tom Brock, Tom Parrish, Justin Jepson, and Tiger McLoon, and we're uh, we're talking about dads today. We're, I'm absolutely open to changing the subject. Um, dads are pretty important in a, their role in our. Society seems to have taken a beating over the last couple of decades. Does that seem fair, guys.
3: After
2: yeah, I mean, all, yeah, did, yeah, didn't
0: we go from father knows best to father knows nothing?
3: Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and and today, yeah. who needs a father at all? Yeah. Let's do artificial insemination and revamp the family.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. And one of the things I've been thinking about as we have our conversation is that you know all the for any dad out there or person picturing themselves as a dad is. A couple of things I, I always think about. <clears throat> One is that all of us are untrained when we started the journey. We just didn't know what we were doing. We had a few gems from our parents, maybe, or from our dad, maybe, that carried with us. But uh, we're all untrained making it up as we go along. And every dad that I know of hopes that they are doing a pretty good job and hopes that their kids turn out well. And if they're a Christian, they, they hope they follow Jesus and And I use a phrase at all my parenting seminars that I, I, at the beginning, to say this to anybody who's a parent, um, particularly to dads this week. I I know we thank you for hoping that your kids turn out well, but hope is not a strategy. Um, If we're going to make a difference, if we're going to be the dad we want to be, it requires intentionality, actions, consistency, and the things that we're untrained for. And it really takes a lot, it's a lot more work. And uh, it's been the hardest job I've had. It's also been the most rewarding. I I love being a dad, a granddad, but uh, just hoping it's going to happen. And I'm not talking about biblical hope. I'm talking about this kind of, you know, like, I hope I don't flunk the final, even though I haven't studied kind of hope is what a lot of (laughs) parents Mm -hmm. do. We just hope our kids turn out well. And it just is in today's world, if we're going to create Christ followers, it is going to take more work, intentionality, and strategy I think than ever before, and that's not to put pressure on people but to remind us that we need help
4: mm. tiger to your point I, I really appreciate that yeah and as a as a young dad myself i <laughs> I feel the weight of those words uh in oh. uh, in a, a special in a special way and i i I grew up in a family where that that was the mentality you know well we kind of did the best we could and we we hope you guys are okay and you know, and um, and not, I certainly did learn some, some nuggets, as I shared, you know, at least one earlier. Yeah. But I think that's why it's so important that you can't raise your kids in isolation. Um, you know, yeah. we'll, we'll maybe, we'll maybe re- replicate or repeat or imitate our past for the better <laughs> or for the worse. But you can blaze a new trail by the grace of God. And in the context yeah. of the church and the community, get around other fathers because we're all— <laughs> We're all figuring this out together. And I've been just immensely blessed by other men, older men in my life that have been spiritual father figures that have shown me things that I never knew and expressed the heart of God to me and and incarnated Christ to me in ways that now is impacting the way that I'm parenting. And so I think just that encouragement of like, confess your helplessness (laughs) and if you don't know what you're doing and get in community and, and, and embark in this messy,
1: worthwhile journey together yeah that's a great word okay. Justin because yeah. um, I think a lot of us being with peers who are also young couples and stuff is great uh, but sometimes you share ignorance but when you're with <laughs> someone who's older been further down the road sometimes you really get yeah. this wisdom and I, I look at early years of being a dad I think of my friend Tom in our church it you know he just was he he, he just mocked modeled and talked, and he gave me a safe place to kind of go, oh, that's what it looks like. His style was yeah. very different than mine, but but that mentoring mm-hmm. and other, other guys over the years, the church has provided incredible opportunities for me to learn from men who are mm-hmm. further down the road, have wisdom, experience that I mm-hmm. don't have. mm mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. It's interesting with all the men that I've worked with over the years. They're always saying how, you know, I'm working hard to provide a good income for my family, a nice house, and mm-hmm. my kids can go to college. Mm-hmm. And I usually say to them, well, I think you're missing one vital thing. And they would always pause and say, well, well what, what is that? Time. We don't give mm-hmm. enough time to our children, we don't give enough time to our spouses, and we certainly don't give enough time to the Lord in terms of prayer and reading His word. But you look at our society today, I mean, the elephant in the room is the absence of dad in the home, either through dad's Mm -hmm. not being there or through divorce or whatever it may be. And as a result, mom is trying to work two or three jobs in many cases. She can't be there. And then we wonder, why are our kids today in such trouble? And it doesn't take a mathematician to figure this out. They're in trouble because we're violating the biggest rule at all, simply giving time to our children to listen to them, play with them, laugh with them guide them.
3: You know, Tom, mm-hmm. I, yeah. I, I read Denzel Washington, the famous actor. He said that when he was young, he had two friends, and all three of them started getting in trouble and doing things they shouldn't. Denzel Washington had a dad in the house who said, no, you don't. And his <laughs> other two friends did not have a dad in the house. Denzel Washington today is a famous actor. The other two guys are in jail. And that just yeah. you know, they, you know, as much as we're trying to revamp society and have two women be the mother and father or two men be the mother and father, the surveys show that a mom and a dad raising their biological child, that child is going to go on and be the most successful. And that's not saying that single parents can't, you know, do the best they can to do a good job. But the way God designed the family, we are going to produce— the healthiest, happiest kids and grown-ups if there's a mom and dad in the house. Mm
0: -hmm. There's an organization, and I can't think of the name of the organization, but it, it involves, like, two dads being in schools every day. So, like, two dads show up, and they're not security guards. They're just dads, and they're there, and their presence is known. And in those schools, truancy and trouble is down, like, 80% yep oh
3: yeah and do you remember this is what is this 20 30 years ago whenever dan quayle was vice president and murphy brown was the tv sitcom and murphy decides to have a baby outside of wedlock and dan quayle said you know that's not good kids need a mom and a dad and when that caused a huge firestorm Mm -hmm. that he said that i thought to myself wow is America in trouble and now it's 10 times worse Mm
0: -hmm. Hmm. all right let's go ahead
4: oh I was just going to add it it's kind of almost re (laughs) re re-hitting the same bell that I was earlier you know for the I just was maybe mindful of maybe a single parent out there you know maybe it's a single mom that's listening and you know, the, and to your point, Tom, yeah, doing the best they can and with what they have, and but there isn't a father there, and they can't just magically make one appear, and there's a process, obviously, for that. But that's again where the church steps in, you know, not yeah. not not as a husband to a single mom, but as you know, really having that that kind of close connected web of other men in the mm-hmm. lives of of boys as they grow up. Um, yeah, absolutely, I, I can't I can't overstate how how vital and how important that is, and you know the even the honor that i've i've been a i've had over the years and um uh, days in youth ministry too of being able to step in and um and be a part of a young man's life is is really invaluable
1: great discussion yes, word there's a yeah a lot of the kid, kids need a vo- a choir of voices that speak the gospel and uh, model it and men and women Um uh, mm-hmm. bit no matter what their family of origin um in my painful family it was God providing other men into my life. And so, yeah, the ideal is a mom and dad, but, but the church can, can be a great resource for all of us, including uh, the single parents and adoptive families that uh, are, mm-hmm. are trying to do the best job they can. So yeah, we have to, mm-hmm. we have to recognize the power of the church to, to add uh, areas that we might not have on our own.
0: Mm. Another listener jumped in and said, hi guys, I will share uh was just 12 when my dad died so not much talking uh, felt like it was to be seen and not heard that's how i guess she felt have always hoped would that i would have a father figure i struggle to talk to my heavenly father uh, mm-hmm. that's a can be a pretty profound yep. experience when when you don't have a dad that can take you uh, into adulthood if you lose your dad mm-hmm. As an adolescent, it's pretty traumatic on a on a kid.
3: Yeah, I think we assume, I think we assume God the Father must be my, like my earthly father, and that's a bad assumption. <laughs> and again, I, the only way the only way to get over that I think is to be in Christian fellowship, be in Scripture, uh, be in prayer, and if you need to get counseling, even on the issues, uh, to go ahead and do that.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and, and to help someone like that expand their definition of of the word from their human experience to the biblical truth um, Mm -hmm. is it can be a real hard process for some, but it's an important process for everyone.
2: And the one thing I'd encourage this uh, woman is that God the Father uh, is real, but it's abstract. We've never seen God the Father. He didn't walk the earth as we do in that sense. But Jesus, being God the Son, God in our presence, did. And I would encourage her, as well as anyone, no matter what your father was like, good or bad, Jesus becomes the model of what we're to be like, and that's why he calls us, you know, brothers and sisters. And so I'd encourage her to go more into the Word and look at Jesus' emotions, attitude, and behavior and get a better feeling
3: for how God really feels about her. And you know and you know I I don't know if any of you have done this but I had to get some Christian counseling about difficulties I had with my dad and to talk that stuff out with someone and then have someone pray over some of these memories and stuff. You know that can be very helpful as well. It can.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. You know
4: you know one of the things that came to my mind was just a just a powerful quote um the author of um the the Shack, whether or not you, what you like or dislike that book, but William Young um, played a role in—so the so the author of that played a role in a documentary um, called The Heart of Man. And maybe, you know, if listeners are have heard that before, if you look that up, it's—I think you, it's even free on Netflix. But he gave a testimony of how he grew up with an abusive father, and he said—he uh, said this line. is For some reason, it stuck with me. He said, it took me 50 years to wipe the face of my father— off the face of God, and wow. um, and I and I just, you know, whether this is a young woman or a young man growing up and having an abusive father, just to say that that, that God the Father is not an abuser, that He mm-hmm. and there there that that is a, again, st- that we keep ringing the same bell, the community and the church to be able to step in, and he went on to say, part of that process was it it took other men to really incarnate the love of the Father, imperfectly, of course, but to do it authentically, um, to bring them through that journey of healing and recovery, and a restoration of of a true vision of who our Heavenly Father is.
0: Great point. Yeah, great point. All right, let me take a short break, and we're talking about fathers, how important they are, and sometimes we have difficulty um, with our Heavenly Father, because we're comparing Him, or we've got an earthly father that modeled things that we didn't like, and so how do we then turn our love and affection and worship into our Heavenly Father? But we need to allow our Heavenly Father's truth about us to override and wipe away any earthly father's failings. We'll take a short break, and we'll be right back. (laughs) to the show. guy Talk is going on right now. Power panel is Tiger McLoon, Pastors Justin and Tom Brock, Tom Parrish. Awfully glad you guys can be with me today and the listeners. They they love this discussion. It's, uh, it's lively and fast-paced, and I think it's uh, real interesting. It's like eavesdropping on a very cool conversation. Oftentimes men have a hard time just even talking about important things. You, know, you get together and you talk about stuff that doesn't matter. I think it it was C.S. Lewis that says, what isn't eternal is eternally out of date. And I think that oftentimes men get together and waste a lot of time talking about stuff that doesn't matter. Good point, Bill.
1: Good point, Bill.
2: I've had those conversations. Yeah,
1: Yeah, right. (laughs) That that dropped like a bomb. Way to go. I'm okay with that.
2: (laughs) Bill, let me add something to this that might be helpful. When I was in college... My my friends, the male friends in college and in high school, we were brutally honest with one another. I mean, no holds barred. We told each other what we thought and how we felt, and we loved each other, and that was good. You know, that's college. Somehow we get married, and we forget doing it. And then the church it doesn't become very aggressive with men. And, Tegger, I appreciate what you've been doing for a very simple reason. There are a lot of husbands out there, a lot of young men, a lot that are dating They don't have a playbook that they understand on how to treat women or how to treat children. Mm -hmm. They don't have a playbook on how to live. They don't have a playbook on understanding this. And they're not real good at seeing the playbook in the Bible, but we should be. And I learned over the years that especially I would do this every summer. I would invite 15 guys, young adult men, married, uh, in this case with the married men, to do a, a summer Bible study with me. But the Bible study was focused on what it meant to be a father what it meant to be a husband. Mm -hmm. And to this day, uh, over all these years, I still get cards letters, emails from these guys saying, that made the biggest difference in my life, because I didn't know how to talk to my wife. I didn't know how to talk to my kids. But that small group really helped me accomplish that. So I think as Christians, we need to be more aggressive with men and to really speak to them. And when we see something out of line, Instead of ignoring it, maybe we need to take them out for coffee and say that was the dumbest thing I ever heard that you just said. Somehow to get them to listen.
1: Yeah, no, that's a great example of uh, what I say about, you know, we, we hope our men turn out well, but you designed a strategy. Mm-hmm. There's no magic strategy, but intentionality, mm-hmm. if you have a mission behind it, uh, everybody has a, you know, God gives them wisdom. And I, that's a great example of really helping guys, not vaguely, not just, you know, I hope they do fine because they're part of the church, but but going after them with a strategy, I I, I think that's wonderful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: All right, gentlemen, yesterday on my program, I had my friend uh, Jeff Rodorn on, and we were talking about uh, people that will be reluctant to call themselves Christian because they don't like some of the associations connected to it, or they might call themselves Christ followers. Um, And I was wondering if somebody asked you, well, what uh, Are you a religious person? What would you say to them?
3: I would tell them I'm a Christian. Okay. And I follow Jesus. Okay. Huh. And I heard somebody say it. I thought this was funny. I'm religious, not spiritual. <laughs> 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 Me- meaning <laughs> that because the word spiritual, you know, it's, you usually get the opposite. I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual, which basically means, yeah. I think... I believe in whatever I want, whatever seems right, right to right. me. Right. So I, I, mean, I, I think I, I, I'm going to use the word Christian. It's used in the book of Acts, and, and uh, of course mm-hmm. it gets abused, but okay, change it to Christ follower. In 10 years, that'll get abused. You know, so I, I think it's fine to say I'm a Christian. You
2: mm-hmm. know, we're still losing 1,500 pastors a month in, in most studies to the ministry. Wow. They're leaving from all denominations. 1,500 a month, that's a lot of that's people. a lot, but here's the one wow. thing I learned in the midst of this all these years doing ministry. I, I love Jesus, and I love his church, but I have no illusion about people. People are still people, whether they claim Jesus or not. And so I don't go with this expectation that, that everybody's going to keep my confidence, everybody's going to have my back, everybody's going to tell me the truth. No, I just realized people are people. And once I got over that, I not only survived the ministry, I thrived in the ministry, because I could genuinely love people, even when I knew they were probably going to bite me in the end, where I think most of us, we get hurt enough, we just drop out and leave. And so for this person talking about, you know, calling themselves a Christ follower, I understand where they're coming from, but the reality is you can't escape the body of Christ, and that's where we live out our relationship with Jesus.
0: And certainly some people could say they're Christ followers and not even be a Christian, because they would say, well, Christ was a good teacher. And he said, yeah. help the help the homeless and feed the hungry. And that's what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you true. cannot be saved and born yeah. again.
1: Yeah, that's right.
0: Well, right now, studies
1: are showing, and we've heard this many times over the last couple of years, that the average uh, churched kid who grows up in a churched family uh, believes that being a Christian is being nice. That if I'm a nice person, that's what it means to be a Christian. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, that mm-hmm. title has diluted down. That doesn't mean that I don't claim it. I still I use that phrase as a starting point, but generally find a way to you know go beyond that or ask a follow-up question to find out what they're thinking, uh, because just declaring something doesn't usually help. But to mm-hmm. start a conversation, but but to, to many people in the church, it just means being a nice person, and I think we have to go mm-hmm. a little deeper than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah
4: of that I guess uh interesting enough I think you, I think you brought up that point last week and I think we were talking about yeah. things that make us make us gag or cringe and actually <laughs> that, word, <laughs> that word nice <clears throat> is it for yeah. me because you know we know if nice doesn't get someone crucified right and so obviously Jesus was not nice. <laughs> I mean there's he was he was kind and and, and I yeah. I'm mindful of of how Jesus you know had this tendency that obviously was intentional. That he always he always asked more questions than he actually answered, and so I, uh, and I, not to be snarky, but I think sometimes if someone I've, I've had the conversation when someone's, you know are you religious, you know I, I usually ask them, well, what do you mean by religious, and and then it, you know just like how would you define that because I want to know are we thinking are we understanding that term the same because that'll that'll determine how I how how, how I'll answer and. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it was uh, it was Paul uh, Paul Copin is an ethic biblical ethicist. He said, you know, human beings are inescapably religious. Everyone will devote ultimate worth to something and then orient their life around it. So, on one hand, I could say, well, yeah, I think everyone's religious because everyone devotes their lives to something of ultimate worth. So, the question is, what do you deem ultimately worthy, or of ultimate worth? Mm-hmm. And then. Yeah. For me, that's Jesus, for me. That's following Christ, and so if you want to be yes, a Christian, yeah. Christ follower, disciple of Jesus, whatever. But I think um, you know we live in a day and age where there's so much ambiguity around different terms that have changed over the years, and I think it's important to enter into a conversation to at yeah. least have a mutual understanding of the definition of a really uh, a very a term like religious that carries a lot of baggage.
2: Yeah, yeah, good point. I'm there. not sure we. De- I'm not sure we define what we're talking about when it comes to Jesus very well. Um, now, don't go into shock, but I'm a Lutheran that would have altar calls, and we would ask people to really come forward <laughs> and receive Jesus into their life. And I always had people say to me, are you sure you're really a Lutheran? <laughs> yeah, I am, but, you know, I'm one of the strange ones. The point was, I remember a gentleman who came and received Jesus. You know, I gave the typical invitation, repent of your sins, you know, ask Jesus into your life, and you know, et cetera, et cetera. And he did. And a couple of weeks later, at the end of my sermon, I was saying, hey, do you know what it really means to be a follower of Jesus? It means to value what Jesus values, to have his worldview, to think like he thinks, to love truth as he does, to serve as he mm-hmm. did. And I went down through a list of about 40 of these things. I got them written down somewhere. Went through them. After the service, he came up, and he literally grabbed me by the lapel. And he looked in my face, and he said, if you would have told me that in the first place, I wouldn't have committed my life to Jesus. Mm-hmm. that taught me something right there it taught me and, and i've done that ever since i give i give the full gamut because we have created a jesus of our imagination too often in the mm-hmm. church and not the jesus mm-hmm. of the bible and the jesus of the mm-hmm. bible doesn't want to have some control of my life he wants total control of my life and that's what we need mm-hmm. to help people see
1: Mm-hmm. that's good yeah Of course, on the front side of that journey, all of us, I think we admit, uh, even if we were even if someone did a good job of clarifying everything, uh, we just don't quite get it. That's that's the whole journey of following Jesus. I'm still figure I'm still figuring out that I'm I'm Mm. uh, I'm not giving him all. And so we we Mm -hmm. continue the journey, uh, but we do the best on the front side to explain it as clearly as possible. I think that's a great, Mm -hmm. great word.
0: Gentlemen, we just have a couple of minutes left. How often do the words "born again" come out of your mouth? I host a radio show, so it happens all the well, time.
3: You know, it, it's only three. The, the the phrase "born again" is only three times in the New Testament. Jesus said, "You'll be born again of the water and the Spirit." In Peter, it says, "You were born again through the living word of an abiding word of God," and then we're born again through the resurrection of Christ. But it's only three times in the New Testament. I think it's okay to use it. But I don't use it a lot. And especially, I don't want to use it like there's two kinds of people out there. There are the Christians, and then there are the born again Christians. No, if you're a Christian, mm-hmm. you're born again. And I, I, I don't want to make it a, a super spiritual title for pride's sake.
0: For pride's sake, but Jesus says, Marvel not when I say you must be born again. So Yeah, you have to be. It, yeah.
3: a, it's essential. Yeah. It's essential. It, and you know, nowhere does it say, Pray the prayer and ask Jesus, and you're out and you're born again. <laughs> Again, the three times it shows up, it has to do with, I think, water baptism. That's the way I understand the John passage. But then through the resurrection of Christ and through the uh, Word of God.
2: If you look at the encounter with Nicodemus in chapter 3 of John, and I encourage everybody to go there and to read this. Read it several times. When Jesus says that you must be born again, he gives the illustration, being born again is like the wind. You don't know where it comes from or where it's going. The point being, unless the Spirit awakens us, we yeah. don't even know we need to Savior. We don't even know we need to repent. And so that's the, the incredible part of John 3. And it took me probably 25 years of reading that to get it.
0: Gentlemen, <sighs> thank you so much for doing Guy Talk. It's always good Thanks, to Bill. be together. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Bill. My power panel today. Thanks, has, Bill. Yeah, uh, You bet, Tiger. My power panel has been Tiger McLuhan, pastors Tom Brock, Tom Parrish, and pastor Justin Jepsen. Thank you, gentlemen. It's been a great show. And thank you for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Have a great night. I'll see you tomorrow. Oh,